All right. <clears throat> Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Today we are beginning a new sermon series as we are going through the pastoral epistles, is what they're called, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And the focus that we are hoping to put on our church um, that we started with a, a few weeks back is uh, what is a healthy church? You know, we want to look at biblically what does a healthy church look like? And there are going to be many factors that we're going to be looking at as we go through the pastoral epistles here. But we're not just focusing on what is a healthy church on Sunday mornings. Our Wednesday nights have been focused on what is a healthy church. As we have started a few weeks ago going through the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, what better way for us to know what a healthy church looks like than first by looking at what it is that we are to believe? And that's what the Baptist Faith and Message does for us, is it shows us what we should believe. It's our confession. It's what we as a church adhere to. It's not scripture, but it is a guide to scripture. And so let's just take the next who knows how long and let's look at how we can be healthy. I think that's good for us. I think that um, those of us in this room who know, um, you get warning signs, right? When your body starts kind of falling apart. Uh, last Sunday, I was not here because I couldn't put any pressure on my left foot. That was a warning sign. Something's wrong. Uh, churches have warning signs. I'm not saying we have warning signs. We might. We might not. But we need to take a look at what it is that we need to do to be a healthy church. Just as when the body has warning signs to, to possibly take a look at what it is we need to make changes or do to be a healthy person individually. We need to know what it is to be a healthy church. And so I figured pastoral epistles, it's going to be great. We just spent the past two years looking at the book of Acts. We've hit on Paul the past year. And so as we were looking at Paul in a narrative aspect, we're going to look at a letter that Paul has written to Timothy and to the Ephesian church. So if you will go ahead and stand with me in the honor of, of the reading of God's word, we're just going to look at two verses this morning. We're going to look at the greeting. And the greeting is very important. A lot of times we overlook the greeting, but the greeting actually shows us many things that we should know. So here we go. First Timothy one verses one and two. If you're, if you're there, say word. Wake up. All right. One and two. Here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning. As we go into this time of study, as we look to your word, help us to apply this to our lives as we seek to be a healthy church, a healthy follower of Christ. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now I'm excited about us starting this series. This has been something that I've been wanting to do for some time, um, but it just it took us two years to get through the book of Acts. But I believe that right now is a pertinent time to be looking at what a healthy church is. 
Now we know that this is what Paul is trying to do with Timothy, because when we look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, it says this. Paul tells Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that these things I'm writing to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Those two verses show us the reason as to why Paul is writing to Timothy. To, to, to point to him that he may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, there is a problem that Timothy is facing, and I could argue that the church today is facing that problem as well, as it has faced every day since it was incorporated, and that's the problem of false teaching and false teachers. These false teachers creep into the church. Now, the false teachers that Timothy is dealing with are possibly false teachers outside of the church and are possibly even elders within the church who have gotten to this point of teaching this false doctrine. And when, and when I'm, when, again, when I say the word elders, biblically it's just pastors. That's what elders are. They're pastors. Now, false teaching is rising up in the church today. Is it not, church? It's rising up in which we are accepting the culture's norms that go against the Word of God. It's a teaching that is cancerous to the church and to its growth. When we begin to be okay with what the world says is okay when it goes against God's Word, we are now becoming false teachers. And we are being a false church. And Timothy is dealing with these issues in the church in Ephesus. And that's where Timothy is right now. And Paul is writing to encourage Timothy and to set the record straight. That's what this is. That's why the title of my sermon is a letter of hope. This is a letter of encouragement to Timothy, but not just to Timothy. It's a letter of encouragement to the church in Ephesus, but not just to the church in Ephesus. It's a letter of hope for the church today. It's a a letter that we need to be looking at and we need to know. A lot of times people think that we should just gloss over these books, these pastoral epistles, because I'm not a pastor or I'm not a church leader. It doesn't pertain to me. It does pertain to you because you are a church member. They are called pastoral epistles, but that doesn't mean that they're written for pastors. They're written for the entire church. And so what we need to understand is, first off, Timothy's probably in his mid-30s here. A lot of people like to look at 1 Timothy 4, 12, where it says, Paul tells Timothy, do not let anybody look down on you because you were young, but set an example. And a lot of times people are like, man, Timothy is young. He's he's probably in his early 20s. No, he's he's in his mid-30s, almost 40 here. He was in his teens when Paul had come across him on his missionary journey and he came to know Christ. And it's been 20 years since that time. Paul is biblically a young man. Mid-30s, almost 40. Paul, uh, uh, so Timothy, 
Here, Timothy is also an elder of the church in Ephesus. Now, this is the Ephesus is a large city. It's diverse, religiously complex. It's much like the Charlotte area. It's not Oakboro, guys. It's not Locust. It's not Midland. Ephesus is like Charlotte. All right, very diverse. You're going to come across people of different races, people of different religions, people from different areas. And in the middle of Ephesus is a temple of Artemis, which brings about the cult of Artemis. And they're very influential in how things are done there. And so we can see that Timothy is not pastoring in the Bible Belt. They're not pastoring in an area where everybody and their mom claims to be a Christian. It's a very difficult area. And Paul is writing to give instruction to Timothy and to the church of how it should function. And even though we may, may not be in Charlotte, even though we're in Oakboro, big town, it's still written for a church like ours. So here's the main idea I've got for you this morning. Main idea is this. Paul's letter to Timothy is a hopeful letter for the good and joy of the church. Paul's letter to Timothy is a hopeful letter for the good and joy of the church. Church, we we want to be a healthy church, right? We want to know what it is to be healthy. We want to know what it what it means to be biblical. Why? Because that's that when we are a healthy church, it's for our good and our joy. When we know what it means to 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 be a healthy church, and what I mean by that is, is what does church membership look like? Church membership is 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 serious. It is a biblical issue. What about women? Can they teach and preach in a church? That's an issue we're going to come across here in a few weeks in 1 Timothy 2. What about the role of elders and the role of deacons and their qualifications? Those are situations we're going to come across here in 1 Timothy. What about how how do we serve widows or even widowers? How do we serve people within our church? What about discipleship? All these things come across in the pastoral Epistles, and it is for our good and joy. And why is that? Church, this isn't our church. It's God's church. When you come to my house, I do have certain rules in my house. You are not allowed to hang from the ceiling fan. You are not allowed to jump on my couch. You're not allowed to kick my dog. You're not allowed to discipline my children. I have rules in my house. Just as God has rules of how his house should function as well. Yelling at my kids all week to stop jumping on the couch. I've got a, that couch has to last us. I can't afford another couch. Couches are not cheap. There are certain ways to live and to function in a house. And God has a way to live and to function in his house. So Paul's letter to Timothy is a hopeful letter for the good and joy of the church. So let's break it down. I got three things for you. It's a reliable letter. That's number one. It's a reliable letter. Number two, it's a relevant letter. And number three, it's a reassuring letter. Like my three R's. Makes me look good, right? Good. I worked real hard on that. But no, I'm joking, guys. 
It's a reliable letter. How so? Look at verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior in Christ Jesus, our hope. Paul has listed out in verse one why this is a reliable letter. He is telling the Timothy, which he doesn't have to tell Timothy this. Timothy knows this. But Paul knows as he is writing to Timothy that this is a letter to the church as well. And Timothy is going to read it to the church. Paul is listing his authoritative apostleship. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, I have been chosen by Jesus himself to be an apostle to his church. Now, what is an apostle? Biblically, in the New Testament, we see apostles are messengers. Now, there are several apostles that we can list out. You've got the original 12 that are chosen by Christ, and then you've got Matthias that is chosen, and then you've got Paul that is chosen. But then you've got all these other apostles. You've got Barnabas, who's listed as an apostle. You've got these other guys, too. But they're not apostles of Christ Jesus. They're apostles of the church. So we've got apostles that are just messengers. They're just men who have been called by the church to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then you've got these apostles who are called and commissioned by Christ Jesus himself. Who have been chosen by Jesus himself to have an authoritative presence within the church. Paul is of that authoritative presence. He's been called as an apostle. He's a witness to the resurrected Jesus Christ. When he's on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Jesus confronts him and calls him out. And he's commissioned by Jesus to go and share the gospel and to be a witness to the Gentiles. This is a reliable letter, church. And why is it a reliable letter? Paul is showing the church in Ephesus that is because he's an apostle. But for us, we know that apostles were given influenced by the Holy Spirit to give and to receive divine truth. Paul has written the majority of the New Testament. The majority of the inspired word of God of the New Testament is written by the apostle Paul. We know that this is a reliable letter because it is a part of God's word. Now, church, we live in a world today where churches, even that are gathering at this very moment, are neglecting this book. They're neglecting God's word. They may quote a verse or two, but they're not teaching God's word. They're not teaching God's truth. Instead, they're teaching man's opinion. And that's that's a problem, church. That is a problem today. There are churches across our, our nation that have no idea what it means to worship. I heard a couple weeks ago, it might have been last week, where there's this mega church in America, not going to say the name as bad as I want to. I don't want to be that pastor. But this mega church led the worship service with their praise band covering a Led Zeppelin song. For those of you that grew up with Led Zeppelin, you know they're not singing about Jesus Messiah. 
And the reason, the excuse the pastor gave was because this praise band, praise band, needs to get it out of their system so that they will play the songs that the church needs them to play. Man, that's worse. (laughs) That's horrible excuse. So what's going on? We are neglecting this reliable, trustworthy, authoritative, inerrant, infallible word of God. It's not enough for people. They want a little bit more. They want to be accepted by the world and accepted by the culture. They want to be accepted by their neighbors and neglect this book. Church, in the year 2000, well, it was probably 98 when they started working on the new Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which we adhere to. They, 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 they revisioned it. They ratified it because of the battle of the inerrancy of Scripture that was going on within our religious culture. They had to ratify to show the truth of the inerrancy of Scripture. But church, I'm going to tell you right now, even 22 years later, we're still fighting that same battle. We're seeing denominations across our nation split because of the truth of God's Word. Allowing certain types of marriages and certain types of relationships allowing other religions and cultures to creep in, denying the divinity of Jesus, denying even, even Paul the apostle, denying him as the author of certain books. I mean, these things are, are a problem within our nation, within our world. We are called to trust in the word of God. So how is it that we can be a, a, a good and joyful church? How is it that we can see Christ and see the truth of Scripture is by looking to the Word that God has given us, this reliable book. So firstly, we see that we need to be looking at this because it is a reliable letter. Church, we live in a world who suppress and oppose the truth of God's Word. We see it. Look on the news. And what this world needs, what this world needs is a church, the church. I'm not talking about Red Cross. I'm talking about nation, universal. A church who will stand on the truth of God's word and will not back down. It's a reliable book. It's a reliable letter. Secondly, Not only is it a reliable letter, it is a relevant letter. It's a relevant letter. We don't have to make it relevant for today. We don't have to twist it and shape it to show why we can use this today. It's relevant in and and of itself. Us as pastors and preachers, we're not called to make God's word relevant. We're called to show you how it is relevant. So how is it relevant? Look at verse 2. Paul is writing to Timothy, my true child in the faith. That's who he's writing it to, to Timothy. My true child in the faith. Now, Paul has written about Timothy earlier in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, but you know, Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. 
Timothy is a protege of Paul. It is a spiritual son of Paul. I've got Paul's in my life and I've got Timothy's in my life. I've got men who have shaped me and I'm hoping I have men that I'm shaping. And Paul is the molder to Timothy. Timothy has walked with him, has served with him. Timothy has suffered with him. Timothy has been in the trenches with him. And we see here, just in this verse, that this is not just for Timothy. Because when we go to the last chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul is addressing you all to the whole church. This letter is good for Timothy. It's encouraging. It's hopeful. And not only is it good for Timothy, it's good for the pastors and the elders of these churches. It's good for the church leaders and it's good for the churches of today. Paul is writing to bring encouragement and hope. Church, this is something we need to look at. It's for us. And there's going to be times you're going to come across scripture and people will take that scripture and will say, nah, that verse was meant for that church at that time in that situation. In fact, let me go ahead and just rip the bandaid off. First Timothy two verse 12, where Paul tells Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain Quiet. Church, women are not called to be preachers and pastors of churches. But people will take this verse and they'll take it out of context and they will say that verse was written for that specific church at that specific time. Look at verse 14. This is how we know it's not written for that specific church at that specific time. Verse 13 and 14, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was, was deceived and became a transgressor. That means that ever since creation, this is why men have been called to preach and pastor. This book is relevant for all time. It's not relevant just for the time in that. Now, my email is... Robertletto at gmail.com. If you have any problems with what I just said, you can email him. Okay. But when we're going to be tackling stuff like that, church, that's what we're looking at in this book. It is a relevant letter for us today. How should we as a church function and what truth should we stand on? Number, number two, it's a relevant letter. Number three, not only is it relevant, it is a reassuring letter. It's a reassuring letter. I've got a box in my office and I've got a stack in my nightstand beside my bed. But um, I keep letters that I get from church members and from uh Students that I've had in my youth ministry in years past, and I've got cards and letters of just encouraging. And it's always good sometimes when you're going through a bad day or a bad thing of ministry, you're able to pull that out and read it. 
You're just encouraged by it. I've also got a stack of letters from mean people who have written some mean stuff, and it's called the trash can. Um, but it, when we get an encouraging letter, when we get that hopeful letter, we want to hold on to it, and we want to read it, and we want to be reminded of it. And church, this is what this is. This is a reassuring and hopeful letter. And I want to show you why. Look at verse 1 again. We see Paul's apostleship listed. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior. Now, if you're like me and you like to circle and underline and write in your Bibles, circle God our Savior and circle Christ Jesus our hope. Paul is reminding Timothy. This is a reminder to Timothy because he could have just easily said, hey, this is Paul, an apostle of God. But instead, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, in Christ Jesus, our hope. Dealing with the false teachers within this church, Paul is reminding Timothy and the church at Ephesus, God alone is our Savior. Some of the false teachings are dealing with dietary laws and restrictions. They're dealing with marriage. They're dealing with all these crazy things. But one thing Paul is trying to get across, God alone is our Savior. It's Him who has called Christ to go and to live and die and resurrect and now reign. It is Christ who gave his life for us. It is God who, through his wrath that we deserve, we deserve death, we deserve damnation, we deserve the very depths of hell. God, who is willing to give it to us, also gave us his son so that we may live, so that we may be redeemed. God is our savior. Christ Jesus is our hope. How is it that we can be saved? From the blood of Jesus. Any hope we have in this life is because of him. We turn on the news and we look out our windows and we see just violence and we see bickering and we see division and we see all these problems. We're seeing threats of war and we're seeing just death everywhere. And we're just being reminded of the sin within our world. Timothy's being reminded of it as he's serving at this church in Ephesus. It's hard business serving a church. It's hard business loving on people and watching them suffer and watching them in pain. It's hard business looking at marriages fall apart and looking at the person who's constantly doing the same sin over and over. And all you're doing is praying for them and and encouraging them to repent and stop. It's hard business being a pastor. And Paul is reminding Timothy, God is our Savior and Christ Jesus is our hope. As we lead, as we love, as we serve, how do we continue going on? How do we continue doing this? By trusting in the grace that Christ provides as our hopeful Savior. Church, you are suffering and struggling. I think I said that a few weeks back. One thing that I've learned as a pastor, everybody's suffering in some way. Everybody in this room is struggling in some way. 
But how is it that we're able to even get out of bed in the morning? How is it that you're even able to walk through these doors this morning? How is it that you're even able to show your face when you know that deep down you're hurting and you're in pain and you feel alone and you feel dark? How is it that we do that? By trusting in the hope that Christ provides. The hope that He gives by dying on the cross for our sin. The hope that He gives by never leaving us nor forsaking us. The hope that He gives by wanting to constantly redeem us of the sin that we so cling to at times. We have hope in Christ because He wants to comfort us. We have hope in Christ because He wants to redeem us. We have hope in Christ because He wants to be with us. Sometimes we feel ashamed. Sometimes our sin calls us to draw back from Him. But Christ is constantly wanting to pull you forward. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where's our hope? It's in Jesus. And second half of verse 2, again, circle grace, mercy, and peace. Where Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, this is an encouragement to Timothy. This is what Paul is wanting to give Timothy. To remind him of it. Grace. Mercy and peace. How is it that we get grace, mercy, and peace? At the foot of the cross. Grace is being given something we do not deserve. Mercy is not being given something we do deserve. And peace is the peace that we have between us and God because Christ is the only mediator. Paul is trying to give Timothy just a little bit of encouragement. A little bit of hope. Trying to point him to the cross, trying to point him to Christ. And this is what I love about it. Do you know why we need grace? Because you're disobedient. You're going to mess up. You're not perfect. Paul is not telling Timothy he needs to be a perfect elder. Paul is not trying to show the church in in Ephesus that they are going to receive God's good favor if they obey perfectly. Paul is trying to show this church that it is only by God's grace that you're going to be able to be healthy. It is only by God's grace that that you're going to be able to act right. You're going to mess up. That's why grace is always available. Mercy is always available. Peace is always available. So you might need to hear that this morning. You might be in here and you're struggling. Maybe you've been holding on to that sin that you cannot get rid of. Whatever that sin may be. Maybe you need to be reminded that there is grace from the cross. Lay it at the foot of Christ. Repent of your sin and turn to Him. Christ wants to redeem you from it. He's like a surgeon who has found a tumor. He wants to remove that cancer from you. He desires it. 
Maybe you're struggling this morning and, and there's no peace in your life because you're hurting in some way. God is our Savior and Christ Jesus is our hope. God is our comfort. He's our refuge and strength. He's the only one that can give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. He's the only one that we can find any type of comfort within this lost and dying world. Will you turn to the one who loves you enough to even sacrifice his own son for you? Would you trust and rest in the one who has done all things so that you may be saved? And stop working yourself to heaven. Stop carrying that burden, whatever that burden is. Let go and cling to Christ as he clings to you. Church, I am excited about this study. I think as we look at the pastoral epistles, as we look and examine ourselves as a church, I think this is going to be very good for us. It's not going to be easy. You are not going to like everything I say from this pulpit. But you're not going to have a problem with me. It's going to be a problem with God's word. It's not my opinion. It's what God's word says. But I think this is going to be really good for us. It's going to, it's going to be like surgery. Surgery don't feel good, man. It's not going to feel good. But it's going to be good. So I don't know what you're struggling with this this morning. As a church, as a church, this is a hopeful letter for the good and joy of the church. But let me remind you that Paul is just pointing to the cross. He's pointing to the grace, mercy, and peace of Christ, who is our hope and our Savior. May you cling to Him this morning. Maybe you just need to be reminded of the gospel today. I'm here if you want to talk. If you want me to pray with you, if you're struggling, I'm always here. We don't usually do an invitation. I don't usually ask you to come up. But if I will be up here if you want to come up here. But if you don't want to come up here, you can find me after service and we can talk. Okay, you can call me, message me, whatever. I I care for you, church. I really do. When you hurt, I hurt. When you struggle, I struggle. That's been one. I don't I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness of a of, of a pastor, but I do. I I love you, and I pray for you constantly. I've got a membership list. I've got names. I've got a prayer list app on my phone. I pray for you constantly. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. We are thankful for your word that is hopeful. So God, as we go more in depth with this study, as we look to be a healthy church, help us. Help us to trust you. Because God, this is your house. This is not our house. This is not my house. This is your house. Help us to see what it means to be a healthy church. Help us to look for the good and the joy that is made available through Christ. God, I pray for the people in this room this morning. You know what they're struggling with. You know their hearts. 
You know their thoughts. You know their worries. You know their sin. God, I pray that you would just grab their hearts and show them that you are there. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.